Welcome to Lawyer Up. I'm John Gonzalez, along with my law partner, Jack Derora. We're speaking with Amy Claven. Amy is with Move to Prosper, an organization that makes affordable housing available in neighborhoods that offer good schools, good employment, safety, and much, much more for families in Central Ohio. Welcome, Amy. Hi, everybody. The first thing, and, I, and we talked a little bit before we got started, was uh, this program is um, specifically designed for single women with children. Is that correct? That is correct. And it's important to know when you call it a program, it's um, an initiative with Ohio State University and community partners. And it's part of an evaluation, a research project. Um, so when there's ultimately policy change, that policy change will impact um, single dads, couples, um, anybody. Um, but for study purposes, we're focusing on single moms because they do tend to be the ones raising um, children when they're single. Maybe you can give our uh, listeners then a, an overview of what um, you know, this initiative uh, entails at this time and then where you hope to see it go. Thank you. So Move to Prosper was created because we know that it's very difficult for families to, um, who are working in low wage jobs to live in higher resource parts of our community. And we actually got started when um, one of our, came one of our founders said to me, how do we help children who are going to failing schools and or low performing schools living in um, neglected housing, unsafe neighborhoods, the moms don't have job opportunities. How do we help the families and especially the children be able to move up the income ladder and be part of the economic fabric of our community when they grow up? Um, as you may know, Central Ohio is one of the second most income segregated regions in the country and very hard here to move up the income ladder. Your zip code determines your future. So we created this model called Move to Prosper, which combines short-term rental support with life coaching to enable families to succeed after they move to a higher resource neighborhood. And we're studying the impact because it is a new model and we want to see how it works. And what we provide is um, the life coaching. We have coaches who work with us and um, provide monthly programs to the, to the moms. It's now on Zoom because of the pandemic, obviously. And the rental support is uh, $400 per month. $100 is coming from the landlord by reducing their market rent. And then the other $300 a month um, is philanthropy. And this is for three years. And we're doing it for three years because we know that it takes time for change to happen. What we heard in focus groups early on before, you know, or as we were de developing the model, people would be in other programs that were short term and it didn't impact them and that they needed a longer time to learn and then practice what they've learned. 
And then that's why it's a coaching model so that you have somebody to hold you accountable. You started off with 10 women, am I correct? That is correct. And that was, I think, two years ago? Um, This July will be three years ago. And so far, the results have been promising, right? Very promising. Um, After uh, two and a half years, we have nine families still in the program. And very excited to uh, share that one of the families um, recently, uh, of, of the 10, received um, her, so, or is receiving her associate degree from um, one of the local uh, colleges. And um, the families have experienced better results than the national average for their income bracket through the pandemic. They've been more financially secure and have been rebounding from the economic challenges um, in a better way than others. Well, I'm sure that if you're at Ohio State, you've got some number crunchers there who are measuring a number of factors to determine success. So without getting too much in the weeds, tell us what measurements of performance have been examined. So let me put this in context. We have 10 families and in the pilot, so this is a pilot, um, we're looking at the systems and the process and yes, we're looking at numbers. Majority of the women um, have uh, achieved higher credit scores. Um, All but one had uh, emergency funds prior to the pandemic. You know, the statistics nationally, very few people have um, emergency funds. And um, especially when you're lower wage, how do you save? These women do um, or did because of the financial literacy training. Um, The families have expressed positive physical and mental health outcomes. And um, actually these are numbers that Ohio State's researchers found. Part of our criteria was, did not have anything to do with the health of the families before coming into the program. Um, the first evaluation at four months, the uh, researchers asked about emergency room usage and found that half the families had children who had um, respiratory issues, usually asthma, and that the reduction in the number of emergency room visits was astounding. And it's because they were living in healthier homes. And this translates to not just the emergency room costs, but fewer school days missed and fewer um, days uh, missed of work. At a year and so it would have been at um, 16 months evaluation, uh, Dr. Reese from Ohio State said that the value of the emergency room savings is $30,000 a year um, because of the continued reduction. About grades, how are the kids doing in comparison? Three of the kids in the new school districts have been tested as gifted. 
they were not known as being gifted in their prior schools. A number of them, if not all three, were labeled as problem kids because acting out, you know, if you're not getting what you need. Um, the kids, and we've got some great videos of them talking about um, how this has impacted them. They're excelling at school because of the new resources of the schools. It's a testament to higher resource schools being able to provide more for the kids. So we have these kind of stories across the board of um, families once the stress of where they had been living and the stress of the prior school situations um, and for the moms, all the worry about safety and that was number one. Once that abated, the family started to take off. And um, it's been fun watching and hearing, hearing about it. So you referred to it as a pilot program. Does that mean there's a chance it will not go forward after the original 10 families uh, go through the program? Or is it something that has already been picked up and it is going to continue? Great question. We call the next phase Empower 100. It would be an evaluated study of 100 families. And we realize that, again, it's a new model. We want to evaluate it so that we see what works, what doesn't. And we've developed the model in a way that it could be replicated by other organizations. Um, and in fact, another organization is going to be looking at our model in the next um, few weeks. I'm an optimist. I'm very hopeful that our community, which is both the public sector and the private sector, realize that it's time for us to look at a new way of providing socioeconomic mobility. That what we've been doing is generally Band-Aids, short-term rental support. If you're um, homeless, you get, you know, shelters are critical you get housing and support for a little while, but not a comprehensive program to help people move forward in their lives. The women we're serving, um, many have been formerly homeless at some point in the past years. Um, some uh, doubled up, but they're all working and they don't have a way out. And what we're providing are the tools that some need all, some need some to help people move out. So I hope that we get the funding and um, we're working really hard at um, putting those pieces together and anybody can help us. So you rely upon donations, uh, obviously monetary donations, but what about the life coaches and those uh, people? Uh, are they donating their time? Are they on payroll somewhere? How are they working into the program? Oh, that's a good question. Um, they are getting paid. Uh, some would call it that they're volunteering. They, um, and we are looking at for the Empower 100, how much we should pay. We're frankly comparable to 
a pay scale at Ohio State. Um, let's see, what we're doing differently is we're using as our coaches, people who um, have been coaching in other ways. So you see, I'm using the word coaching. It's not case management. It's um, not a, a social work perspective, which is important. We do have a social worker on our team, but the women um, are coached to set goals and that as they're working toward their goal, learning how to remove the barriers and being held accountable to meet the goals. And it's not something that everybody has an opportunity to do and learn how to, to do this. Um, and we think it's important because we can't just tell people, well, you should go do this and that. We may have those shoulds, but if it's not your own, you're not gonna achieve it. So it's listening to the women. So the coaches are not volunteers. I, we have had people contact us who'd like to volunteer. We let them know we'll be hiring people. They can, but we want people to think of it as a job. They need to be able to be available. Um, we're looking for three years uh, so that there's time to build a trusting relationship. Um, the, obviously people during that time period may go on vacation or whatever, but coaches need to be accessible to the participants um, as challenges arise. But I'm wondering if we're ever going to solve the problem that you're trying to solve overall for Columbus, if we don't solve the, the unaffordable housing problem. Or, am I wrong about that? I think that we are one important tool for the toolbox. We are not gonna solve the affordable housing problem if we believe we're gonna build enough housing that's affordable. It takes a long time to build affordable housing. And part of the affordable housing problem is the fact that um, rents are too high. People can't afford it. And so what we're doing is saying, you know, you've got all of these apartment communities or rental units throughout the region that are not affordable to people. And that in fact, we need rent support. This is not a new thing. We're now hearing people talk about this more openly that we need rental support so that people can live in safe and decent housing in safe and decent neighborhoods. So we are demonstrating a model for providing rental support with coaching in a way that we hope landlords will say, okay, yes, I will rent to families that frankly don't meet our criteria I wouldn't normally rent to and open their doors to that. We think that's important that ultimately our community has mixed income housing. You hear Mayor of Columbus talking about that. You hear a lot of public officials talking about it. Well, mixed income housing should be everywhere, not just in a couple areas that are being revitalized. It should be everywhere in our region. The second part is um, the families 
we don't tell people to move. Family, there are families that would like the opportunity to determine where they'd like to live in, in the community. And we believe it's important to provide those choices. We need to revitalize neighborhoods. That's totally critical for our region. These are areas where people came from who talked about shootings outside of their apartments, who had mold in the apartments that made them sick, um, gas stoves that didn't work, that the landlords wouldn't fix it, so they had to eat out all the time. There's like need all over our community and um, families who want the uh, ability, the equity, the, um, to make the best decision for their families. And sometimes that means moving from where they live. And we think they should be able to do that. Amy, you mentioned that the uh, pilot program was a three-year program. And so a couple of things I wanted to ask you about that. First of all, you must have some of the families now transitioning out. They're getting close to that three-year. Can you tell our listeners what uh, happens to those families and uh, where are they going to go and what concerns you might have? And then second, is three years enough? Should it be shorter? Should it be longer? Are you evaluating that? So I'll start by saying that because of the pandemic, we extended the pilot for one year. We had been thinking about doing that. We felt it wasn't going to be right to, because we didn't know how long the pandemic would last and what would happen. Um, we began thinking about it. And one of our participants wrote us a note saying, you know, we thought we were going to have three years for our kids to go to a higher resource school. And they're not because they were by that point already um, learning from home. Uh, and, um, and I should put in air quotes learning, but um, some, you know, have done okay through, the, through their learning. And so we did extend it and we actually made that decision having the funds raised because we, we do what we believe is the right thing to do. The, um, but we have talked with the families about what their next steps will be. That is part of the third year curriculum of Move to Prosper. It, um, two of the families are hoping to look at home ownership as their next step. We'll see if that happens. A uh, lot of reasons that it uh, may or may not happen. They need to find a housing that they can afford. I think all of the families would like to keep their kids in the same school districts and we'll see what their choices are. Um, some of the families will stay in the apartment communities where they are now. The, as long as they've been good tenants, the landlords had committed, the rent will go to market. The tenants have to be able to pay, but they would be able to stay. Um, some need to find three bedroom apartments because kids were little and they could share a room. And now that it'll be three, four years later, they need um, larger units. We go back to the resource, to the research when we're asked this question. The research says that even a few years in a higher resourced neighborhood changes a child's life forever. And that 
this is Raj Shetty's um, opportunity research, uh, move to opportunity. And the research showed that kids um, who move from lower resourced to higher resourced communities have a lifetime earning of over $300,000 more than the kids who stayed in the lower resourced community. The research also shows that after living in higher resourced communities, families do not tend to go back to where they were. They see something different. They know they have other options um, because of lack of grocery stores. Um, if you look at the mapping from the uh, red line mapping from the 30s, you look at today where the um, infant mortality uh, issues are, it's the same map. And if you look at um, life, uh, um, life expectancy. Yeah, life expectancy. That follows the, that same map. Um, access, oh, actually there's environmental issues. The um, amount of trees, the pollution, it's all more in those same areas. And that affects your, um, that's why they say your zip code determines your outcome, your life, life outcomes. So at the end of the next three years with your next 100 moms, what do you consider a home run? What do you want the city and the government to do in response? Yeah, this is all about policy change. Um, we volunteers, many of whom are involved with Move to Prosper, others are not, are working on ordinances to protect people from discrimination based on their source of income. That's a policy change that's important so that families have the access to higher resource parts of our community. Um, there needs to be other types of zoning changes so that we address the structural barriers that make it difficult for um, lower income, people with lower incomes to move to areas of higher resources. Um, those are kinds of policy changes that we want to see. The outgrowth from Move to Prosper is that we should have a, mobile, a housing mobility program in our region. Other cities across the country have programs to help families understand that they have the ability to live throughout the region and help them do that. The analogy would be if you're going to buy a house, you go to a real estate agent and they help you find a house. You know, they talk to you about where you'd like to live. If you're lower income, you don't have that. Nobody's there to help you. And in fact, you're, there's so many barriers, legal ones, um, as well as uh, sort of the traditions that keep you where you are. So what we're doing is a housing mobility program. Our home run, is that we see the government supporting rental support for a longer period of time, not just a couple of months, 
but for three years so that families have time to learn new skills, um, be able to um, practice what they're learning, establish roots in their new community, and then have stability. Um, and then if they move from there, that's okay. They move from one area to another, but they're, they'll think differently about where, um, uh, where they have opportunity and where their kids will have opportunity. Let's assume you get, things go swimmingly well for you and you get all the rental assistance that demand requires. It almost sounds like you could be emptying out certain low resource neighborhoods. We pay people right now through tax incentives to move to areas where governments decided they should move to. And these are higher income people who have the ability to rent all of these new apartments being built or buy condos that are getting tax abatements. These tax abatements are worth a lot of money. And in many cases, more than the $5,000 a year rental support we're providing. And how many, you know, how much money is being spent locally on rental support for low-wage people? That's the rental support. That's a good comparison that you draw. I'm glad you made that point. Thanks. And the rental support comes from federal funds right now. Um, other cities across the country are using their own city or county funding to provide rental support because they see that it's providing stability um, when we can keep building shelters and we'll need more and more shelters if we don't have affordable housing. And we're saying build affordable housing, but also provide rental support. Amy, could you take a minute and uh, tell our uh, listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in uh, this type of pilot program, you know, this type of um, uh, community uh, issue? So my background is um, I was uh, president CEO of Homeport for 16 and a half years. Um, some people may know Homeport by its original name, Columbus Housing Partnership. And in fact, I started volunteering there um, 32 years ago. And I was practicing law at Porter Wright Norris and Arthur, wanted to get back involved in the community and got involved with that time Columbus Housing Partnership because it served women. My uh, before going to law school, I was very involved in women's issues, family issues, and see housing as a, an important issue for women. It tends to be who's poor, and families with children have a very difficult time getting decent housing. Private sector doesn't necessarily build for that demographic. The nonprofit sector does. So, so after being at Homeport for um, a long time, we built and renovated 
a lot of housing. And I spent a lot of time connecting that housing to resident services, believing that it was important to uh, connect to um, services for families and saw the impact of doing that. I wanted to get back into policy work. And so that's, um, that's how I ended up with Move to Prosper. The, um, to me, it's important to be involved in the community and to be, you know, we, I like the same, um, it's not your job to, to finish the work, but to be part of making the change, to starting it, to um, help others. And um, we're doing it as a, you know, a lot of people are involved. Uh, a lot of people are seeing that we need a new way. So it's been very um, gratifying to be part of this. Well, I'm impressed with what Move to Prosper is doing as well as what is your personal commitment. I got to believe there are some naysayers out there. Who are your critics and what do they say? Let's see. On the Move to Prosper front, the naysayers, and you kind of alluded to this in some of your comments, um, well, not everybody can move. And so what are you gonna do? Um, empty communities? And our response is, um, and it always brings me back to this African-American minister who said to me, and pardon my language, People want the hell out of some of these neighborhoods. And what you're doing is important. You're giving people voice to what they need. So we don't require people to move. That's, you know, um, ask the critics. I've heard the language. Oh, they just pluck people out of neighborhoods. Well, we don't. We believe that people have the ability to decide what's best for themselves. They just can't always do it because of structural barriers in our community. And, and it's time for us to address those structural problems. Um, we've heard people say, well, um, we should fix the schools. And our response to that is, yes, we should, but it's not about the teachers. It's not about the schools themselves. It's about the impact of concentrated poverty. And that there's a lot of research showing that um, when you have a school and everybody is low income, the teachers have such a high, so many issues that they have to deal with. And the reason we have schools that are so concentrated in poverty is because of government and private actions that created segregated community. Again, it comes back to being the second most income segregated in the region. And you think about our history um, and how we got there. So isn't it time to deal with these issues? So that little kids can grow up together and go to school together and get into the workforce and not for the first time meeting somebody of a different income or racial background. That benefits all kids. It 
there's a lot of research on that. Um, so those are the kinds of issues that we've had that's come up. The program also is um, limited to single women with children. Uh, was there or will there be any consideration of married um, uh, couples with children being a part of the program? The, we did um, discuss that. We are reviewing all of the criteria that we had for the pilot and deciding what we want for the, the Empower 100 project. The reason we are keeping with single moms is that ultimately this is about the kids. And when you look at who's in lower income in our community, it is generally the single moms with kids. And again, policy change will affect married couples, um, but there's a lot of single moms with kids. The reason it's only moms and not dads is the, the more variables you have in the research, the less um, you get out of it. So we need to be able to say, okay, it's a hundred women. Here's the health impact on a hundred women, their mental health, their physical health, their employment change. And so now if you look at men and women, you have more variables in there and it's less meaningful. Um, so that's why we're limiting it as we are. Amy, thank you for the work you do in our community. Um, as I told you before we started, I had not heard of this uh, pilot program or the organization and I am uh, impressed with uh, its reach and its importance and your passion and optimism about it. Uh, it's, uh, it's really wonderful. And I think with your involvement, I'm confident it's going to be a success. And again, thank you for coming on and telling us and our listeners about it. Jack and John, thank you so much. This has been a fun conversation. And I really appreciate your questions and your enthusiasm for what we're doing. And thank you for helping us spread the word. Uh, John, a lot of people haven't heard of us because we're, you know, we're small. It's not like we can buy lots of advertising. And um, so what we've been doing is spreading the word impact that we're having. And actually, I forgot to tell you that all of the families are engaged since the pandemic started in enterprising activities. That's activities in addition to their jobs um, so that they have uh, various ways that they're making money. Um, one started a business, we're so proud of her. And um, another had a business, both in addition to their full-time jobs, but her other business has grown. A third is um, beginning work in party planning so she can make some extra money in the side. And the rest are engaged in the gig economy or something to supplement their other money. And so we're seeing these opportunities that families didn't have before. Um, so as people hear our story, we hope that they wanna get involved and um, help support the change our community needs. So thank you for the opportunity to tell our story. I, pre I too appreciate what you're doing, Amy, and I, I like the program and where you're going. 
Next month, our guest will be Christine Money, a former warden. We'll be talking about the 50,000 men and women who are incarcerated in Ohio and what she is doing to help them re-enter society after they are released. Until then, remember to lawyer up. So long. <laughs>